Well, if you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Luke chapter 17. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 10 in our time together. There's also a handout in the bulletin if you want to look at that. If not, that's fine also. You know, warnings are only as good as the person who gives them. You know what it's like when you've seen a parent say, I'm not going to tell you again. And depending upon the family, the child may know that he has about five or six more times. Isn't that true? I mean, you've watched that like, I'm not going to tell you again. And you can also see, almost see the kid there thinking, I got four or more times on this one. Right? See, a warning is only as good as the person that gives it. Now, there's other times when a parent says that, that that's it. Or, or if you get something on the radio saying, the emergency broadcasting system has a special announcement. Now, that's a warning that I listen to. Don't you? So it's all about the source of the warning. And that's why when you would come to Luke chapter 17, and Jesus in this passage is going to give a warning. The text says, then he said to his disciples, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks should come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck, he were thrown into the sea, than that he should cause one of these little ones to stumble. So when Jesus gives a warning, when Jesus uses the word well, doesn't use it a lot in the gospel, Luke, but does use it a couple times. And so when Jesus gives a warning, hey, watch out for this. That's more than the emergency broadcasting system, folks. I mean, we should be all ears. What is Jesus talking about when he says, well, I want you to think about something. Jesus, in this passage, is looking out at his disciples and he's saying, you know what? There are some things that are very, very common in this world, but very, very evil that we should stay away from. And, and, and so what fascinates me is this. The thing he points out is being a stumbling block. A stumbling block to little ones. Who are the little ones? Are they ultimately little in God's eyes? Or are they people that tend to be little in our eyes? And Jesus gives a warning and he says, do not do anything that will cause people you may think are insignificant, unimportant, to cause them to stumble in their faith walk with me. Now, I want you to think about something. In the Gospel of Luke, who does that more what group does that more than any other group? That's right. So a woman in Luke chapter 7 comes to Jesus and at great risk falls at his feet and cries and prays. And the Pharisee sitting there is thinking, what's this woman doing here? She's insignificant. And you read on and you find poor people come to Jesus, insignificant. You find people who are sick, insignificant. insignificant. Again and again. In the last chapter, there is a rich man in the story who sees Lazarus 
as insignificant. There is an older brother who sees a younger brother in the prodigal son story. Insignificant. So Jesus says, we live in a world where people, there's a group of people that are considered insignificant, often by the religious establishment. And Jesus says, woe to you. Because people matter to God. And when we do anything that causes them to stumble in their direction of moving to Jesus or walking with Jesus. God says, it would be better. Now, now, I don't say this. Jesus says this, okay? It would be better that you took this huge millstone, tied it around that person's neck, took him out in the middle of the sea, and dropped him in. Does that sound like a little bit of overkill to you? Well, it would kill. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is overkill, I guess. Whatever we define overkill. But, but here's the point. Jesus is saying, God is so for these individuals that when you hurt them, it'd be better to be dead than to do that. I mean, I, I'm just telling you, that's his words. And I think what he's doing is he's looking at the religious leaders through the gospel, through his ministry. And he's saying, woe to people who do that kind of thing. But then he says this. Look at what he says here in verse 3. You guard yourselves. You know what that means? That means Doug Finkbeiner, who would not call himself a Pharisee, would call him somebody who loves Christ and walks by grace and seeks to honor him, as you would too as his believer, as his follower, right? Jesus looks at us and says, okay, that's true of them, but it can be true of you too. So you must guard yourself. One of the things that's important to us as a church, Tim has mentioned it again today, James mentioned it last week, is how important relationships are or should be in the body of Christ. And honestly, folks, there shouldn't be anybody in here that feels like they're insignificant and unimportant to us. Reality is, it's probably the case, though. And this text calls us again, as God's people, to be sensitive and loving and caring for all because everybody matters to God. Then he hits another relational thing. So on the one hand, be sensitive to all, even the insignificant and unimportant. But secondly, he picks up on this other issue, which is always challenging. Look at what he says in 3b. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Confrontation is appropriate in the body of Christ. And if he repents, forgive him. Are you okay with that one? I, I'm kind of okay with that part. Aren't you? Like, okay. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And, and okay, that's hard. I, it, and we got to learn to do that. we got to learn to do that in the body of Christ. Go up in, in the appropriate way and say, hey, man, that's wrong. I love you, but it's wrong. And then he says, will you forgive me? Yeah, I'll forgive you. Okay, that's hard. But, okay, I can kind of see that. But look at what he says next. I mean, like, this is where it gets like, whoa. I mean, I'm okay with 3B. I, I'm struggling with ver verse 4 a little bit. 
if he sins against you seven times a day, seven times a day, folks, come on, and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, put him on probation. Is that what it says? Forgive him. Look, Tim and I are good friends. If we spend a whole day together, and every hour he did the same thing to me, but every hour he came back and he said, I repent, will you forgive me? I think I'm okay for the first two. Number five, I'm struggling a little bit. And number seven, I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm doing, I mean, I'm just thinking like this is no. Is that not hard? Because I'm thinking by number four, come on, Tim, this can't be legit. And so I will play God and judge the legitimacy of what I'm hearing now because you know what? I'm entitled to this. You shouldn't treat me like that. That's wrong. And I'm an important person. And stop it. And all kinds of. Don't we think like that? Can you not understand the very next thing that the apostles say in verse 5? I, I like fully get this one. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. That's exactly what I'd say. On number 5, God, I can't do that. I love you. Jesus is my savior. I believe the gospel. I think I do anyway, right? But come on. He can't keep doing that to me. Isn't that how you feel? If you're a mother, you've experienced that one. I mean, with a child, a two or three-year-old, you probably do 14 in a day. But with adults, it gets much more difficult. Because you start thinking, I don't, I don't know that I believe the person. And, and, and honestly, honestly, if something like that happens seven times a day, there's other issues and people that should be brought in. Yes, I understand and believe all that, okay? But Jesus recognizes that too, okay? okay. What is Jesus telling us here? Jesus is saying, as we continue to read, that my heart should be so oriented toward him that I'm willing to do that to Tim. But I say, God, I can't. I can't believe that. I mean, I, 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 don't, I can't do it, Lord. So they say, Lord, increase our faith because all we need is a whole lot more faith. And if we have a lot more faith, then I can do this for Tim. Do they need more faith? Look what Jesus says. The Lord said in verse 6, If you had faith like a mustard seed, um, think of me having just a little granule of sand on my finger right now. Could you see it? I mean, you guys probably in the second row couldn't even see it. Maybe, maybe you get really good eyes. And something tiny like that that you can't even say. Jesus says, that's about all the faith you need. Which means, 
It's not the amount of their faith, is it? It's the orientation of their faith. It's the object of their faith. And what happens when you have not great faith? Because I don't need great faith to forgive Tim. Even seven times. I just need the right kind of faith. A directed faith. Well, Lord, like what is this faith all about? What's it like? Look, look, look at this example he, he, he gives us. I love this. If you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. Now, I, I, will you think about that for a second? That thing makes no sense to me at all on several counts. You know, there's another time where Jesus says, if you have this faith, you could have this mountain up and thrown into the sea. But this is a little bit different. I'm not a tree expert, and, and I, I was going to talk with Joe, but didn't have a chance to talk to Joe about this, but he's a tree guy. But my understanding is with mulberry trees that they have root systems which are tangled and go all kinds of different directions. Am I right about that? Experts out, any experts out there on mulberry trees? Right. Did you, it's just, they're a mess. They're a mess. Number one, if I called Joe and said, Joe, I want you, first of all, to take up that mulberry tree in such a way that you don't destroy the roots. How hard would that be? I mean, we got tree guys that can go and just kill trees. I understand that. Knock them down and cut them down. But how do you uproot that stuff? So number one, you have faith the size of a mustard seed. I can put you on a mission. You go in and you can literally with that faith, what will happen is that mulberry tree is just all the roots going to come out. All of them. It's intact. And then we're going to take it over to a sea somewhere, and we're not going to cast it in the sea. What are we going to do? We're going to plant it in the sea. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. How do you plant a, a mulberry tree in a, in a sea? I have no idea. Never done it, never saw it, never will. But Jesus does it on purpose. The point is, that kind of faith, by God's grace through that kind of faith, God can do the impossible. Do you mean I can forgive him seven times in a day? Well, not on my own. Not with just more faith. But a directed faith in the right object, which then empowers me to do something that's impossible. Does that make sense? What do I need to believe to forgive Tim that many times? There's a lot of things from Scripture. And it kind of depends upon the text you're looking at. Matthew 18 will tell us one thing. This one tells us something a little bit different than Matthew 18. What does it tell us that I have to believe by his grace to do the impossible in relationships? Do, do you see? Listen to what he says. Verse 7. But which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me until I have eaten and drunk and afterwards you will eat? And drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too 
when you do all the things which you are commanded you, you should say, we are unworthy slaves. We have only done that which we ought to have done. In that world, if I was the master, and Bob, Bobby was my slave. Bobby, can I use you? Yeah, yeah. Second, second row on up, you guys are all fair game, okay? Okay. I'll ask your forgiveness later because I have seven. So. Um, in that world, I own him. Now, in no way is the scripture saying, you know, slavery is really good. That's not the point. But in their world, that's what they did. Jesus is using an analogy from what they would understand. Okay, all right. In that world, I own Bobby. And um, Bobby, apparently in this passage, the master doesn't have a whole lot. I think Bobby's about all he's got because he's plowing and shepherding, doing the whole thing. So, you know, you're pretty active, Bobby. It's just Bobby and I, okay, I, I suppose, as I read this. So he's done the work, he's plowed, he's, he's watched the sheep, and, and he comes in, as soon as he comes in, as soon as he walks in, I say, Bobby, well, you are my man, you're great, you're, you're wonderful, listen, sit down here, eat the meal before me, and oh, come on, and with me, and is, is, in the ancient world, is that what they did? No, when he comes in, you know what he does? He serves me, because I'm the master. And then, when I've eaten, and I'm all done, then Bobby can eat. And Jesus is saying, you understand how that works in your world, don't you? First century Jews. Here's the application. You too, when you have done all these things which are commanded, you should say we are unworthy slaves. Here's the point. We live in a culture of entitlement, don't we? I deserve that. You owe it to me. That is our world so often. And this passage cuts against entitlement, doesn't it? This passage says, Doug Finkbeiner is a slave of Christ. That's it. You know how many times he did that to me, Lord? Jesus says, yeah, seven. But you're my slave. Yeah, but I have a... Huh. I guess I don't, do I? I I'm, I'm a slave. And a slave is to obey his master, live for his master, and live like his master. What would Jesus do if Tim asked him to forgive him seven times in a day? We do, don't we? <laughs> don't we? I mean, at least, man, I'm, I'm doing seven by lunch. <laughs> Probably breakfast often. But, but isn't it true? And instead of seeing myself as I've got rights and he can't do it, and, and look, I'm all for justice and all that stuff too, and yeah, I understand all that. But personally, is that how I should see myself? What if I see myself as a slave who when he forgives Tim, when he reaches out and is kind to the insignificant, 
never has a right to come back and say, boy, God, you are so lucky you have me. I mean, I mean, what would the world be like without Finkbeiner? Or, or something like that. No, no. This text just cuts right through all that stuff. Doug, when you live as your master, when you're allowed to live as your master, when you're empowered to live as your master, you get through all that, you can't go like, man, that was like really a good one. All you can say is, I'm a slave. I'm a slave of the master. And it is my great joy to give that to him. Do you see, folks, how that changes everything? Now, you say, that doesn't help me on the forgiveness thing. There's all kinds of passages where we have to believe other things, too. I understand all that. This is one thing when I believe that I don't need more faith. I need to see myself as God sees me. I am a slave. And when I believe I'm a slave of the God of the universe, Christ is my master. I'm to follow him. Then I move to Tim very differently, don't I? Because I move as a slave. You know what I love about this passage, or, or, or the Gospel of Luke? Will, will you, for just a moment, turn back to Luke chapter 12? We looked at this several months back. But I love this text. Folks, when we serve Christ, we can't go, we can only say that's what slaves do. Does God, do we deserve any reward from God for that? Maybe should I be able to say, no, God, you know, look at what Luke chapter 12, we don't, we don't, we don't deserve anything. Fair enough. This text says that very clearly. But Luke puts another overlay on top of this, which is just so incredible. It's just the grace of God. Luke chapter 12, look at verse 37. Blessed are those slaves whom the master shall find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Does he owe me anything? No, he gave me his son. I am forgiven in Christ forever. Secure. On a new journey, given the spirit moving in a different direction with all my foibles and weaknesses and backpedaling. All true, all true, all true. And this text says, in a way that I don't fully understand, when we get to heaven, the King of kings, the Lord of glory, the servant of servants, who doesn't have to give me a thing. When I come in, He's going to say, sit down, and I'm going to serve you. I don't even understand that. I don't even know what it all means in eternity. I love it. And it tells me how gracious God is. I deserve nothing, but he will give me everything because of his son. Isn't that wonderful? 
I can see myself like that, a slave who has been graced by God, who deserves nothing but will be given nonetheless, does that free me up to love people that others don't love? Does that free me up to forgive my brothers and sisters in Christ here that, I, that, that, that bugged me and they did it again? Yeah, because I'm a slave. Slave of the king, the one who has loved me. The one that I am privileged to follow. Brothers and sisters, you don't need more faith. You just need directed faith that believes what God says about who we are and what he wants us to do. And that will change everything. Will you do me a favor? I'm going to pray here, but before I do, I'm going to wait about 30 seconds. Will you pray first? Maybe you're with us today and you say, look, I, I'm not into all this Christian stuff. This is really kind of interesting. <laughs> I'm glad I'm here. Well, I'm here. <laughs> um, your prayer might just be, Lord, work in my heart, and maybe I should talk to one of these guys up front afterwards. We would love to talk to you. Any one of us would love to talk to you. Just come and talk to us. It would be great. But if you're a believer in Christ, will you ask God to put names on your list? Who are the insignificant ones that he wants you to reach to? Who is it that he wants you to forgive again and again and again? Let's pray.